You're listening to highlights from One Planet Podcast interview with John Bean and Fairhaven Farm. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. What's trending kind of now happening with beginning farmers is that it is creating this kind of community connection. It's like bringing people to the farm it's, and, and connecting them to their food source. That creates community. It, it kind of helps cultivate culture and connectivity. And so I think overall, that it's like the landscape and kind of agriculture as a whole, it is shifting. It's trending towards it in a different direction. We can harvest a huge amount of food from a very small space. And just to contrast or kind of explain more about what we're doing, we grow our vegetables on just about a half acre, essentially. So we can pack 50 boxes of vegetables every week for 16 weeks on a half acre and generate 50% of our income for our household on a half an acre. So that's incredible when you consider that most large-scale operations in that partnership one of the partners has like a full-time job and that farming, even though it's on a much grander scale, just constitutes like someone's full-time wage. Or in many instances, that farmer farming on a large track might even have another full-time job on top of that. So it just kind of shows you a precarious situation that farmers find themselves in. And with our system, and that we've learned from others, right? We haven't invented this, but we're kind of emulating what others are doing. We kind of have found a way to make it work both financially and we're producing food, right? That's the most critical thing. If I could, if you can take away anything, it's we're producing food that is serving the people located right around us. And I think that is absolutely critical. And that's the biggest difference between kind of large scale commodity type operations and what we're doing. We can move and we can adjust. We're more resilient because if we need more food, we can plant more, right? Whereas on a large scale kind of type of operation, whether that's grain or kind of animal production, it's like they're set up for producing as much as possible. So when things like COVID happen, that throws a wrench in the whole works that I think what COVID demonstrated is that large scale system isn't as resilient as it could be because you disrupt the supply chain, you disrupt the demand, and all of a sudden now we have tremendous food waste. We have animals that are being sacrificed because they don't have a place to be processed. You have potatoes and grain and things that are rotting because they can't get processed at the same pace that they were used to. So I think the key to a resilient community and landscape is farmers directly around that community who can be flexible and who can change as their environment changes, as, as our needs of a community changes. So that's the biggest difference, I think. In many ways, we're kind of carrying on a tradition of the previous owners of our farm, a wonderful woman, her name is Linda, and that's who we bought our farm from. And when she had the farm, she had grassroots farm. That was the name. And she was heavily into grassroots organizing organizing around social issues and seeing the farm, the act of growing your own food and sharing that food with others as kind of a solution to many of the ill effects of capitalism and kind of scarcity and supply and demand, all these things that drive our culture and drive our society. I think a lot of time people struggle with trying to find solutions. I mean, you can advocate politically. I mean, that's certainly one avenue. You can't do away with all options, right? It, it, it takes a variety of things to kind of create solutions for the different problems, issues that we have. 
However, I think that the farming and growing your own food and supporting farms and supporting people like us, and in turn, us supporting other farmers, it is a solution in itself because kind of addresses everything, right? When you think about climate change, reducing emissions, what's a huge factor in carbon emissions is the entire agricultural system itself, what it takes to plant millions of acres of crop and then distribute that all around the United States and keep them cool and all of these things. Well, when you buy local from a farm, it's essentially you drive to us or we make a short trip and now you've got food the way that we practice our farming. And, you know, just kind of getting to know one another and sharing with one another and not necessarily being so obsessed with trying to extract value here and there from your community, like turning everything into products. So even just the act of sharing food, I think is kind of an act of rebellion in itself. And one community in particular, the indigenous community right now, I'm just astounded by the, the solutions that they are creating in the different tribal communities. We were right next to the Fond du Lac tribe and they're creating community farms. They're creating community food processing centers where you can go in and preserve your harvest and rent garden space and share food and receive starter plants for your own garden. And oftentimes these services are like completely free. And so this is to me amazing. And I, I really actually look up to the indigenous community and their emphasis on food sovereignty. And you see many examples all over the country of initiatives just like this. So yeah, so food can be that force, you know, cause we all need food. And when we share that food, when we grow it together and everybody does a little bit, I mean, that's the kind of irony of the entire situation with folks living in poverty and, and some folks having more resources than they could spend in 10 lifetimes. It's kind of like if everyone shares and everyone grows a little bit, I mean, we could be living in utopia. We could be living with tremendous abundance because the soil will provide that. So we just kind of want to spread that message. And, and I think farmers and, and people who tend the earth are you know, they're the experts in that. So it's good to look up to the farmers. I mean, yes, it's a lot of work. It's uh, difficult, but for all of, for the past 12,000 years or so, it's like settled agriculture has happened. That's been the foundation of culture and society. Like I say, I studied anthropology in college and it's just to me, the farmer, it was like a very human thing to do. It's very human to know and understand what's happening in nature and what's happening at this time of year versus that time of year. At wintertime, we slow way down. So it's a lot of work. Our season is very short in Northern Minnesota. And so it's a lot of concentrated effort within a few months. And then the winter kind of slows down and that's good. And then we get a time to rest and to make it work. And this is, I haven't perfected this, but. It's something that as I grow into the farm and grow into the life, something that, that I always have in the back of my mind is that to not necessarily see it as work. It is life itself. We have to go to the field and we have to tend to the crops. When we tend to the crops, it gives back tenfold. And when we have two big freezers full of food at the end of the season and local meats that we find from other farm friends, 
and we're feeling safe and secure in our household and we have a giant supply of food. I mean, to me, that's wealth to know where your food comes from and to work extremely hard for it and then get to enjoy it over the winter. And so as time goes on, that's that reality is becoming more solidified and we embrace the life and embrace what life brings. And we're just not trying to make a distinction between work and life. It's not like we're waiting for the weekend so we can go do something completely different than we do during the week. It's like on the weekend, we just kind of take it easy and we stroll around the farm and we enjoy it and we smell the flowers and we cook good food. And in that way, it doesn't have to be suffering. It can be joy, same activity suffering or joy. It just depends on what, how you look at it. Well, we use organic practices. However, there are many people who operate at our scale who are, and we go back and forth on that a little bit. It is an extra layer, an extra burden to become certified organic. And sometimes with that certification, if your primary outlet was a, let's say grocery store, you could get a premium price for your product with that organic certification. And that applies there again, if you contrast that with a kind of large scale farm, right, you get a premium price for your, let's say organic grain. Well, that makes a big difference because you're dealing basically only in wholesale type relationships where well, we're building relationships directly with our consumers and customers. And so we're just very transparent about what we do. And for most people, that's sufficient. I mean, we invite people to come and see the farm. If they have any questions, we can, Hey, this is exactly what we do and what we practice. And then we don't have to kind of have that burden of going through uh, the certification process. And the thing with what we practice and what we emphasize or kind of what guides us to ensure that we are creating a safe and nutritious product is that we focus on feeding the soil and feeding the soil biology. This is something that's totally emphasized even in organic production. You can be an organic farm and simply not spray synthetic chemicals. It doesn't necessarily define what you are doing. It's kind of saying what you can't do, but it doesn't say what you should be doing. So in our system, we really emphasize soil health and that focuses on the, like I say, the biology of the soil, something that we're just learning more about now. And so we're actually practicing some things that aren't even totally common yet. We have a, one of our workers is a, a, an expert with composting and creating compost teas. So we're actually taking compost, putting it in essentially a giant tea bag, aerating that overnight. And what we're doing is cultivating biology. We're taking the microorganisms that are in the compost and accelerating their growth by introducing oxygen into this tea. And then we're spreading that on our fields. So it's kind of like we're finding innovative ways to use the best available techniques and technology to improve our soil and increase and, and preserve our biology and our soil health. So we're not certified organic, but we do our best to have safe practices and grow the best food we can. My wife, Emily and I, that in fact, that's the foundation of our relationship is that we wanted to be full-time farmers. We want to be at the farm and we want to be together there. Again, if you think about a, a life where the two partners have two separate jobs, I mean, you might only get to see each other on the weekends. And so we have cultivated a, a strong relationship with our life and, and our life's work as the foundation. And we just happen to have kind of complementary skill sets. Emily does the 
accounting and inventory tracking and all of these behind the scenes things. I like talking to people and sharing our story. She's becoming as our greenhouse enterprise grows at the same time, our fresh vegetable enterprise grows. She's finding her joy in the greenhouse side of things where I like the field work and understanding the, the soil and, and figuring out the planting schedules and stuff. So it helps to have two people because when I'm tired, she could take over. When she's tired, I could take over and we can keep the ship moving. My wife and I are Buddhists. We practice Buddhism and the main kind of message with that a spiritual tradition is to benefit others. I mean, if you focus more on benefiting others than seeking just for oneself, this is where joy comes from, both for yourself and, and others. So it is kind of a life of service. I mean, we can make a living at it, but at the same time, it's more about a life of service. We're serving other people. We're feeding people the best food you can find anywhere. When you speak about tradition or passing on farms, often what gets forgotten it's not just the land itself, but it's the wisdom. It's knowing how to coax life from the soil. That's very important. Whether whatever you're growing, there's a certain type of wisdom that it takes to grow those things. And that is something that's at risk of getting forgotten. So just that alone is extremely important to kind of keep going past down to different generations like this. So it's spiritual in nature, for sure. It's a motivation, foundational kind of motivation to serve others and provide for others. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you would like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.